You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Say these two words with me. Now what? Now what? I mean, now what? What do we do? We're saved, but now what? When we get saved, do we just kind of say, well, I'm good. I'm going to heaven when I die. I've got that box checked off. Eternity's secure. Or do we ask the Lord, now what? Lord, what would you have me do? All throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus invading people's lives with the words, the imperative words, follow me. Jesus came, the Bible says, to be a servant. In fact, he who had every right to reign and rule chose to serve. He who had every right to judge and condemn chose to give mercy and grace. The only one who was the supreme authority found himself kneeling before his disciples and washing their old dirty feet. And then he told us to follow him. This morning I want to share ten points, and I won't be long. Hopefully you'll get the one point, and that is that we are saved to serve. I am thankful. So thankful for the, the, the wonderful saints of God who have been faithful year in and year out, week in and week out to serve Him. But you know as well as I know, in most any church, it's about 10 to 20% of the people that are doing the work and the other 80 to 90% are basically fussing about how the 10 to 20% are doing the work. Can I get a witness, Tommy? You've been there. You've done that. That's just the way it is. So, so uh, likely as not, I'm probably uh, preaching to folks on both sides of that statistic. But I want to encourage you today just to allow God to work in this time and to encourage you to leave this place saying, I'm going to be a servant. I may not have served in the past. I may not know exactly how to serve or, or where to serve or, or or even why I'm going to serve, but I'm going to serve. I'm just going to put myself out there and, and be a, an instrument in the Master's hands. Can Look with me, verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writing here to believers. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. I want you to know that you are gifted. And then he begins to talk about the body of Christ, how there are many parts. Verse 12, the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body are many, yet they are one body. In other words, it's like our physical body. We are made up of many parts, but they all work together. A couple of weeks ago, I hurt that finger. I, I don't know, broke it or jammed it or something, but I know it hurts and my wedding ring won't go on uh, because it's swollen up. And I want to tell you, you don't think you use your ring finger for anything other than carrying a ring, but when it hurts, it affects your whole body. Even the most uh, uh, seemingly unimportant parts of the body are so very vital. Continue looking. For by one spirit, that is the jail that brings us together, we are all baptized into one body, that is Christ, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, that is the body of Christ, the believers, Christians. For the body is not one member, but many. And then it goes through the different parts that should never be jealous of one another or try to do one another's parts. Verse 25, that there should be no schism, or that is division or split in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for the other. Why? Because we are a part of the body of Christ. Those of us that have been saved have been set apart for service. We've been called to serve Him. I want you to notice all throughout the Word of God, there was always a reaction to salvation. What I mean by that is when somebody got saved, there was always something that would follow it. There would be a reaction, and in those cases of reaction, it led them to 
and action. We have not been saved just to come and sit. Most people feel like they are very faithful in their Christian life if they are attending a church. I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful for the folks that God brings to both of our campuses and fill the pews week in and week out. But don't stop there. Many times people will say, Preacher, you sure, don't, you sure want a lot from us. No, I want a lot for you. You'll never know the true blessings of the Christian life unless you are serving Him. I love that song. And God's not the author of confusion and there are no coincidences. We didn't plan this out. I asked Miss Jean when I sat down beside her this morning, I said, so what are you going to sing and she said the longer I serve him the sweeter he go you know and so that song just comes together listen why is he sweet because I'm serving him why do I have joy in my heart because I'm serving him why do I feel content and a sense of calling to a certain ministry because I'm serving him May God add his blessing to the reading and study of his holy word. Father, take over this time. Give unction, give guidance, give direction. Interpret your word to your people as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Got ten points for you this morning. Uh, let's begin looking. Number one, we have been saved to serve biblically. We're not to serve on our terms. We're to serve on His terms. Now think about that. The Bible has much to say about serving Him. Nowhere in the New Testament will you find Christ uh, admonishing people to come in just be faithful attenders. He always encourages and admonishes us to be faithful stewards or faithful servants. So what does it look like to serve biblically? Two things. Number one, we look at the biblical qualifications of serving God. Now there are many places in the Word of God that it talks about special offices and positions in the church. And let me just say that every office and every position in the church is one of servanthood. What is my position? I am to be the chief servant. I am to be the under shepherd of the shepherd. I am to be the one that not only leads the flock of God but cares for the flock of God. Deacons, you're to come alongside and care for the flock of God. Sunday school teachers and others, we're serving God. But think about this. What are the biblical qualifications? We don't have time to get into all of the specifics, but let me tell you specifically two areas in the Word of God that He gives us some qualifications. There are three words in the New Testament that literally mean the same thing. Brother Allen's a seminary student. It's a good lesson here, buddy. You can take notes. These three words, pastor, bishop, and elder. They are not three separate offices. They are the very same one. Paul tells Timothy, if any man seeks after the office of bishop or elder or pastor, he is seeking a good thing. If God has called you, God will call and equip you day by day. But there are certain qualifications, and you can find them in the Pauline epistles as he talks about being the husband of one wife and faithful and a person you know, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and not given to wine, not given to a filthy lucre and all these things. There are qualifications. There are things that we must be able to say, yes, I am biblically qualified to serve the Lord. The Bible says if anyone would come and, and want the office of a deacon, there are certain biblical qualifications of a deacon, and we share that. It's in our Constitution. It's in the Word of God. We talk about that around here. But understand, no matter what level uh, of position we are desiring in the church, it is a position of serving, and there are certain qualifications. More than anything else, it is about a person having a pure heart. 
heart and a desire not to be served or not to heap up attention or glory or praise or position or power, but a person that says, I want to faithfully serve the Lord. I've been in churches before and someone would come up to me and say, I'm the kind of deacon this church needs. I'm the kind of pastor this church needs. I'm the kind of whatever it might be. I want someone who comes up and says, I'm unworthy. I tell you, I just fall at the foot of the cross when I think about God possibly using these hands to do his work. That that picture of humility, that qualifies a person to be used of the Lord. But not only are there biblical qualifications or spiritual criteria, there are also biblical expectations. Can I tell you, I remember a time years ago when we had a nominating committee and we were just really having a hard time. Believe it or not, Brother Dwayne, that happens at times. It's hard to find people to serve in certain areas, you know. And I'll never forget, we had a gentleman and, and he meant well, but he said, we've got to get this thing finished. And he was telling people, will you just let me put your name down? I promise you, we won't expect anything from you. We won't call you. We won't ask you to do anything if you can just let us put your name down. And I thought, well, my goodness, we might as well just take some of our dead members and put their names down if we're not going to expect them to do anything. I want to tell you something. If you step up and say, I'm, going to te- I'm willing to teach a Sunday school class, there's some expectations. You don't show up on Sunday morning and say, has anybody seen that blasted quarterly? i got to throw something together. Listen, we expect you to study and show yourself approved unto God, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's an expectation. You say, well, I want to serve on a committee. I feel led to serve on a committee it means you attend it means you pray before you come into that committee you're spiritually prepared whatever it might be we're having our deacon election this morning understand there are going to be some expectations of serving as a deacon in the church as a pastor I know many young pastors and they think man I think it would be glamorous to be a preacher ride around all day in a suit and air-conditioned car and go into the hospitals and visit a little bit stop by little old ladies houses and drink coffee and eat cookies and I'm just man this is a great life and they go into it and then all of a sudden and they realize, wait a minute, there are different expectations than what I thought. There are biblical expectations. Jesus made it very clear. If you're going to serve me, you're going to be expected to leave your mother and father at times. You're going to be expected to, to leave the comforts of home and to, and to leave your comfort zone. There's going to be expectations to get out of, of what's natural to you and step into uncharted territory. Even when criticism comes, even when critique comes, there are going to be a certain level of expectations. And that's okay. No matter what job you do on planet Earth, there are going to be certain expectations. And my boys play soccer, and every morning they get up and they leave the house at 7 o'clock and they go to practice. They got another practice in the evening. They committed to be on a team, and because of that, there are certain expectations. And when we commit to be on a team here, there are expectations. We're saved to serve biblically. Number two, we're also saved to serve willingly. The Bible says in Colossians 3 and 23 that we're to serve the Lord heartily. Now you say, well, what does exactly that means? It means we're to serve out of the base of our heart. We're not to serve because of our mind telling us we, do, we ought to or, or because someone's urging us to or twisting our arm, but we willingly want to serve. There's nothing like someone who steps up and says, I, de- I desire to be used. I'm willingly serving the Lord. So what does heartily mean? Well, it just when you take the term half-heartily, and you've all heard that, and you understand when someone's serving half-heartily, you're not going to get a very good job. But when someone's giving it everything they have, I'll never forget, and I won't call the young lady's name, but uh, years ago we had a girl in our youth group, and 
Uh, I always, I affectionately call her the bug scrubber. Uh, she's just near and dear to our hearts. But I remember as she was 12 years old, 13 years old, growing up in our youth group, we would have youth car washes. And uh, she'd get out there, and if there was a bug on the front of the car, she was not going to let it pass through the line. And she'd scrub, and she'd scrub till every bug was gone. And uh, one day I told her, I said, you know what, you're going to go far in life. You're going to succeed. And she says, why, why do you say that? I said, anybody that takes scrubbing bugs at a youth car wash, that's Serious has certainly got a great future ahead of them. She's now married and got a young one. But I want to tell you, whatever you do, do it willingly. Do it with all of your heart. Put all of your strength, your mind, and your soul into it. We're saved to serve willingly. Number three, we are saved to serve faithfully. Now, don't miss this part. Where is our allegiance? Is our allegiance to man or to God? Really, am I serving the church or am I serving my master? Am I serving my peers or am I serving my redeemer? When we come to the point as a pastor, as a leader in the church, whatever it might be, and we realize that our allegiance is to the audience of what it changes everything. Why do we make little dresses and send them all the, over the world? Why do we go uh, to, to different places? And I, somebody said, we're tired of hearing about New York and Moldova. Well, go to another church and they won't talk about it, all right? And I just needed to get that out of my system right here and there. Well, one more thing. I'll just go on and get it all out. And y'all can get mad at me and take a pile on and get over it later on. There's a whole lot of folks don't think we need to be in New York or Moldova. Or anywhere else, I reckon. Well, we had a great event right here at Dublin First Baptist yesterday. And then people didn't show up either. I move on. All right. I'm serving him. Not them. Don't look so mad at me. Y'all, it's the truth. I mean, serve him. Get down in the ditches and serve him. Whatever it is, I'm going to serve him. He died on a cruel Roman cross for me. I'm going to serve him. He deserves my very best. It's just the truth. You know, decide you want to be the 80% doing the work, the 20% griping about it. You know, back in, you know, 80% griping about it, the 20% doing the work. Tommy will clean all this up tonight in Bible study. It's just the truth. What does it say? All of these things are working that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Not everybody's going to be called to the same thing. Not everybody's going to be called to the same place. Not everybody's going to be called to serve in the same capacity. But everybody's going to be called to do something. There's not a person in this room that God has simply saved so that you can get to heaven. But he saved you and set you apart so that you can give something back. You're not earning your salvation. You're not earning your way to heaven. You can't do that. But it's literally saying, I want to be allegiant to him. A young pastor called me the other week and he's just broken hearted. This will maybe put it into perspective. And he said, I just found out that my church in their constitution has a, a little section that talks about voting on the pastor. And every year they have a vote of confidence on the pastor. And if he doesn't get a certain percentage of the vote, then he's automatically let go. You know? Um, and he said, they didn't tell me that when I came. I guess he didn't read the Constitution. And he said, I've been here a couple years and nobody said a thing about it. But now all of a sudden they're wanting to have this vote of confidence on me. He said, what do you think is going on? I said, well, I'll tell you what's going on. You've not made somebody happy and they want to get rid of you. Church has been in existence 95 years. They've never had one pastor to leave on his own free will. I'm not going to tell you where the church is. It's four hours from here. You draw a circle of four hours and maybe I'll figure it out. 95 years, never had one pastor just to leave. Never had one pastor retire, feel led to go in another direction. Every one of them has been voted out. And he said, well, I thought, well, man, I don't believe I'd have looked into that before I went to the church. But anyway, he said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, number one, I'd pray. Number two, I'd work on a resume. 
I mean, just what it is. But here's the thing. That's the mindset of the pastors working for us. And he's got to keep a certain level of us, a certain percentage of us happy, or he's out of here. Now, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because then all of a sudden you're so inhibited, I can't serve the Lord because i got to make sure I keep everybody happy. I don't go over here because this crowd will get upset, and I don't go over here because this crowd will get upset. So I've got to somehow just straddle the fence and make sure I keep at least 80% of the people happy. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't keep 80% of the people happy. At the cross, there was nobody found faithful to stand by his side. He was an army of one hanging upon a cross alone between two thieves. Here's the deal. You say, well, preacher, you're taking this kind of person. I'm telling you, if you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Don't expect everybody to get excited about it. Don't expect everybody to get, you know, on your wagon and say, I'm behind you. Just say, it's not about you. It's about him. Years ago, LBJ, president of the United States, had a, had a prayer gathering at the White House. And, uh, and I didn't, it was before my time, but everything I've ever read in history, he probably needed one. And, um, but LBJ, at the end of this meeting, he called on a pastor to pray. And they said the pastor went into this eloquent prayer. It lasted about 10 minutes. The pastor prayed and prayed and prayed for every state and county across the United States. And it just went on and on and on. LBJ kept looking up and realized he was still praying, put his head back down. Finally, the preacher said, Amen. LBJ looked over at him in very colorful language. said, I didn't hear a blankety-blank word you said. The preacher said, with all due respect, sir, I wasn't talking to you. The fact of the matter is, with all due respect, we're not serving one another. We're serving him. And I want to tell you the peace that it affords us. We say, you know, it's okay. When I do what I do, not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to like how you teach your Sunday school class. Not everybody's going to like how you lead your group or, or how you serve on that committee. But make sure that you are faithfully serving him every day. And then just leave the consequences to him. Number four. I'm not going to miss this point. I missed this point at the lake, and, and uh, Tiffany had to bring me back to it. Saved to serve. I didn't mean to. It just happened. Saved to serve joyfully. Psalm 100, verse 2. The Bible says that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. What we do, do we truly enjoy it? Is it, is it something that brings us joy in our heart? When we're full of joy, good things happen. Let me just tell you, when you're trying to serve the Lord with joy... And there are going to be those that are going to try to just pour buckets of cold water on your fire. Um, Jerry Falwell called them joy suckers. He said, just suck joy out of anything. Just take the sweet out of a lollipop, you know. But when I have bound and determined in my mind that I'm going to serve him and I'm going to do it out of a pure heart and I'm going to do it with joy. and I'm going to... Listen, I love to see somebody sing a song and they look like they're really enjoying it, you know. It looks like all of their heart's into it, whatever they're doing. He allows me to serve him. Every Sunday I stand amazed that I get to be the one to preach. I get to be the one to deliver the message and to be the pastor of the people. That brings me great joy. I love to see the people of God coming into the house of God and, and realizing that this is where God has chosen to use us. Number five, we're saved to serve humbly. In Philippians chapter number two, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it begins to explain the ministry of Christ. We are encouraged to esteem others better than ourselves. In other words, we're to put other people above ourselves. The picture of Jesus in the upper room washing his disciples' feet. They did not understand that. They said, get away from my feet. You shouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus explained that he had to wash their feet. He had to give us an indelible picture of what it was to be a servant. 
There would have been servants in those days. There would have been slaves who would have been responsible for washing the feet of people who had come from a far distance. Typically only in wealthy homes. And this person would have been the lowest of the totem pole, the lowest servant in the house. They would have been the most base servant, the most disrespected servant, the, the servant with the least position. And Jesus said, that's me. And he washed their feet and he gave us a picture of that. That that's how we're to serve other people. Listen, think about this. So many times we serve the Lord, but we're really serving ourselves. Please don't misunderstand. I just want you to hear this. There is a motivation behind our serving. And I will be honest, I, I wonder all the time, God, what makes people serve you so faithfully? I know people who literally work 60 or 70 hours a week and then they come home late at night and they open up their quarterlies and they're preparing their Sunday school lessons and they're here on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. They take their family vacations in order to go on mission trips. Uh, they're out here on Saturdays working when nobody else knows it. I mean, they're literally serving God with all of their strength. And I think, God, what pushes them to do that? I know it would be easy for them to walk away. They're not getting paid a dime. Why is it that they do what they're doing? I believe it's because they're very humble servants. But let me encourage you, never see it as, well, I'm serving the Lord because I'm trying to rid myself of guilt. Or I'm trying to pay back salvation. Or I'm trying to earn someone's favor. Or I'm trying to merit something. But I serve Him humbly. I serve Him realizing that there's nothing I can add to my salvation. But I'm serving Him because my heart desires to serve Him. Husbands, why do you serve your wives? The Bible says we're to serve our wives. Hopefully it's not because you want anything in return. Hopefully it's not because you're wanting somehow to make a deal, you know. But I serve her because I love her. Why do I serve the Lord? Because I, I love Him. That is a picture of humble servant. Number six, we also are saved to serve selflessly. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a little phrase in the King James, and I love this phrase. It says, Jesus made Himself of no reputation. He made Himself of no reputation. In other words... He didn't want to be recognized as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But he took all of his reputation and put it to the side and said, I am a person of no reputation. Wow. What is your reputation? Until we get to the point that we say, I don't care what I get out of it. And there's nothing in it for me. I'm simply serving to be faithful. Now let me tell you, you will get a lot out of it. There will be joy and contentment and a sense of accomplishment and a sense of, of godly pride to know that God has used you. But at the end of the day, it's not about me. Sometimes people will come and say, Preacher, I want to be used in the church and here's how I want to be used. But what about when we come and we say, Preacher, I want to be used in the church however God wants to use me. You see, there's a difference. Now don't misunderstand me. There are those that come and say, I love to cook, so I want to minister in the church somehow through cooking. I love to build things, so I want to minister in the church through building things. Those are wonderful things. But have we ever said, Lord, stretch me. Take me out of my comfort zone. Don't just use me to do things that I enjoy doing or I love to do or I have a passion for. But God, you plant me where you would have me to be used. I'm willing. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. But I'm willing. We need to serve selflessly. Number seven, we need to serve consistently. Sometimes if we're not careful, we become seasonal workers. We get this idea that, well, I'll pull my, my time like we've just been uh, put into prison and the bar doors have slammed shut. Others will say, well, I've already pulled my time. I've already done 
pulled my, my, my time at the chain gang of the nursery or children's church or whatever it might be. No, I want to serve consistently. I don't want to be a temporary or a part-time or an interim. I want to be a permanent worker in the army of the Lord. Now, I was asking the Lord for an illustration because I like illustrations, and this is the one he gave me. My little yard isn't very big, so it doesn't take many flowers, but I like to plant flowers, and I like to watch them grow and, and be pretty, and sometimes they are for as much as two or three weeks before they begin to die. That's just because i got a brown thumb. But when you go to, wherever you go to buy your plants, you'll find there are two kinds of plants. Brother Gary can tell you all about it. You ought to see his yard. It looks like the Biltmore house. And there's two kinds of plants. There are annuals, and there are perennials. And now, the annuals are those you buy every spring, you plant, you water, you fertilize, you, you nourish, you do your best. But before long, they're going to wither and they're just going to drift away as if they were never there. Oh, but now a perennial, you plant that thing down in the ground and you water it and you nurture it and you take care of it and you make sure it gets the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of moisture and it grows and it thrives through the season and next season it's right back up and the next season it's right back up and it's getting bigger and it's getting broader and it's getting stronger and it's getting healthier. Well, there's two kinds of Christian servants in the church. There are those that the nominating committee every year has to go and beg. I know you've never done anything before, but will you just give us one year? That's all we're going to ask, just give us one year. And at the end of that year, they've kept their bargain and they drift off. And the next year, can you just give us one year? And those are the annual servants. And But then there are the perennial servants that you can count on year after year after year after year. How about it? Will you, will you commit today to be a perennial servant? Lord, I'm in this thing for the long haul. It's unconditional. It's not about how well I'm received or how well I'm treated, but I'm in this thing. I'm going to serve you continually and consistently. Number eight is the word continually. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says that we're to be steadfast, immovable. Nothing's going to shake me. Sometimes I get amazed when I read so many statistics about people falling out of the church, pastors falling out of the church, nine out of ten not reaching retirement. And you wonder what happened. When did they quit being steadfast and immovable? It may have been when they began trying to serve man instead of God. Those Sunday school teachers, when they began trying to serve man instead of God. Deacons, when they tried serving man instead of God. And no longer are they continual servants, but they're just part-time. Number nine, and I don't want you to miss this part. We are saved to serve collectively. Notice in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about all the different parts of the body working together, working in unison. No matter what we do, it's an amazing picture when people work together. It's a picture of gears. Do you know that gears in and of themselves are just dead weight? But when they connect to one another, they can literally move mountains. If you go to Wilmington to the bridge and it goes up, it's a series of gears that lift tonnage of steel and concrete into the air because of these tiny little gears working together. As the body of Christ, we're part of those gears. We're, we're part of the cogs that are within a clock. I had to look that up. I didn't know that's what the parts within a clock were called. They're called cogs. And if you were to open the back of a clock up and you see all of these gears and all of these cogs and all of these springs and they're all working together in very uh, intricate ways. But at, at any moment, if those gears and cogs and springs quit working together, time stands still. In many churches today, and we're not immune from that here at this church. If the gears quit working together, if the cogs quit coming together in unity and harmony and unison, if the springs and the gears and the cogs are not all doing their part in unison together, if we're not careful, it will as if, as if time has stood still and we're not moving forward. 
pulling together, never apart, trusting God to use us collectively. A church is an amazing picture, a beautiful painting that God puts together to accomplish His purpose. Finally, and I'll close. We are saved to serve biblically on His terms. We're saved to serve willingly, heartily as unto the Lord. We're, we're saved to serve faithfully to God, not man. We're saved to serve joyfully as we serve Him with gladness. We're saved to serve humbly, esteeming others before ourselves. We're saved to serve selflessly, making of ourselves no reputation. We're saved to serve consistently as a perennial plant. We're saved to serve continually, steadfast and immovable. We're saved to serve collectively with all of the parts working together. But finally, we're saved to serve eternally. Heaven is not just going to be about us sitting around harping uh, together and singing our songs, but we will serve the Lord eternally. And my prayer is that we would begin that service even now, realizing that what we're doing today is about kingdom work. We're not just building and growing a church, but we are growing the very kingdom of God by our faithful service. I think about all the people through the years who have stepped up and said, I'm willing to be used of the Lord. And because of their service, men, women, boys and girls have come to a faithful understanding of the gospel and they've been saved. I wonder today, do you realize the magnitude of your decision of whether or not you will serve Him? Every person in this room makes a decision week in and week out as to whether or not they will serve the Lord. I would echo the comments and the mindset of our nominating committee year in and year out. It is a shame a church our size has so much trouble finding people who are willing to serve the Lord. Someone years ago said, Preacher, I'm willing to serve. I said, Where? They said, Anywhere. I said, How? They said, Anyhow. <laughs> I said, Why? They said, Because I love Him. Because I just want to be used. Whatever it might be, if it's going over to the nursing home and sharing the gospel with people who are there, if it's going out into the community and offering a bottle of cold water in His name, if it's coming out and cheering on our special athletes yesterday, if it's, if it's going out to the camp and spending a Friday or a Saturday working, whatever it might be. And by the way, it's a beautiful picture. These Fridays and Saturdays with people from both campuses, you know, uh, they're pulling wood and, 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 and nailing nails and doing all the work. I wonder... Where do you fit in to the body of Christ? The disciples wanted to be served. They didn't understand it. It wasn't until after Jesus had died and risen from the grave and ascended into heaven that they got it and they began serving. They wanted to be served. They wanted Jesus to set up His kingdom that they might sit at His right and left hand. But boy, when they got to serving Him, did this old world turn upside down.